0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this new podcast, Luxury Insight in partnership with fashionnetwork.com. Today, we're very happy to welcome Maximilian Bittner, who's the CEO of Vestia Collective, a company that we don't need to introduce anymore. Maximilian will share with us great insights about the deployment of the company. So have a great day and a beautiful podcast. Uh,
1: Good day, everybody. Um, uh, In today's podcast with fashionnetwork.com and uh, Luxury Insight, we're uh, going to talk to an executive who is running uh, one of France's great new online success stories and a very interesting brand called Vestiaire Collective. And he's had a particular career which we'll discuss. May I introduce Maximilian Bittner. Nice to meet you. My pleasure, who is a Bavarian who uh, now runs a company in Paris. So... How did you become, how did you end up becoming the CEO of Vestiaire Collective? Sure, sure.
0: Um, first, thing, thank you for, for having me, uh, sure, it's a pleasure. It my
1: pleasure.
0: Um, you know, Apologies again for supporting the wrong football club, but <laughs> you know, you'll get there at some point. I, I joined Vestiaire about 18 months ago now. The way I ended up here was uh, after building and founding and, and building uh, the previous company I ran called Lazada in Southeast Asia. That company was sold to Alibaba. And
1: what did it? Reminder our-
0: uh, Lazada was a is a general e commerce website like Amazon um, or like Alibaba. Um, it was launched back in 2012 across six Southeast Asian markets: Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, and Singapore. We scaled the business um, over a six seven year period. You know, riding quite a few big super trends like the mobile phone explosion, middle class explosion. Um, tech finance explosion. Um, we're able to scale the business, you know, in, in what is quite a tough uh, region, but a very exciting region because it's such a big population and, 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 and you know so much consumption growth. Um, and we sold the business, you know, over a couple of years period between twenty sixteen and twenty eighteen uh, to Alibaba, uh, the Chinese e commerce number one.
1: What was its particular? What made it? What made it to, unique? Yeah um you know i think
0: lazada back then had a few things which really drove its success um the first one was really its logistics uh, when we came there you know e-commerce was very nascent uh, you know logistics you know when people talk about you know europe or the us or china you know the logistics was already there the payment infrastructure was already there when we came to southeast asia markets like philippines or indonesia um, none of that was really there. So, so we went about basically building our own logistics. I think when I left, we had about 15,000 logistics workers, over 10 warehouses. We had our own fleet. We worked with 100 and plus uh, logistics partners. I mean, it was a full-on logistics machine. And we also had a huge catalog of, of both third-party merchandise, but also first-party brands. We, we were only the second uh, global distributor of Apple uh, in the world online which Amazon still to this day isn't. So I think we had a, a huge uh, catalogue, a huge assortment. And, and I think we had this, this vision of, of you know, looking at Southeast Asia not as the fragmented area that it is, and most people look at it, but really look at it as the region and really seeing it as an opportunity and a one-stop shop for opening up uh, brands and bringing them to Southeast Asia. So really having a, a regional mindset. And, and, and where was it based? I was based in Singapore, so the headquarter was Singapore, and then we had offices across the six main markets.
1: And what was this turnover when you left? I was big, I
0: don't know, four or five billion?
1: Ah. Yeah, GMV, yeah. So then, what attracted you to come to Paris and work with Vestiaire Collective? So I left the business Lazada
0: back in 2018. Like most founders, and especially people who do e-commerce, I just love what I do. I love interacting with consumers. I love the power of e-commerce. I knew I wanted to go back to Europe um, and I knew I had a, a rough idea what excited me. Uh, I really saw, um, you know, in Asia, in China, in Southeast Asia, e-commerce developing in a very different way than, than you would know from Europe or the U.S., you know, which is very much Amazon dogmatized. You know, that's the way we shop e-commerce is driven by the way Amazon operates and most other websites and apps copy them. In Asia, you know, e-commerce has developed differently, you know, largely driven by Alibaba and, and, and partly by us in Southeast Asia um, and that experience is, is is much more around engagement, much more around gamification, it's much more around empowering smaller sellers and um, so it's a slightly different um, shopping experience and, and when I looked at Europe and, and I wanted to move back to Europe, I kind of uh, saw a big opportunity to have that kind of approach to e-commerce, um, you know, in the region and really differentiate yourself from the existing players. And, and while I was kind of looking around, you know, ideas of what I could do, the investier opportunities kind of came to me a bit out of nowhere. I didn't really know the company before. Through, was, what, through a head through Yeah, through a head yeah. uh, They connected me to the existing investors and, and I had a chat with them and I kind of looked at it and, and I'm quite a, you know, gut feeling person and i just kind of loved it from the first many minute i looked at it and the main thing i really saw was this incredibly engaged uh, customer base and um, you know both buyer and sellers have an incredible kind of emotional connection i mean that's not just you know girls loving luxury fashion it's it's really that second hand brings that extra emotional engagement on the buyer side because you have this treasure mm-hmm. hunt you know that one item that you always wanted but you know, never found. And on the seller side, you basically open up your wardrobe. If you go on the app now and you type at Maximilian, you know, I'm probably the first one who comes up and you see the 30 plus items I've sold over the last 12 months. I mean, you get an incredible insight into to who I am and what I buy. I mean, that's the real stuff I, I, I wear and sold. And so the emotional connection was, was incredible. And I looked at the way the business was run at the time, you know, it, it did some things spectacularly well. It had, you know, amazing fashion DNA, um, you know really kind of representing that that parisian uh you know fashion sense into the world um it had an amazing brand it had you know the brand was built on very strong pillars uh you know about trust about sustainability around the community so all these things were really an, an incredibly raw diamond to build on and, and i really felt that with my experience from lazada you know i could firstly bring just some best practices on e-commerce platform governance to the team but most importantly kind of bringing that vision of, of engagement, community, uh, and, and just building on that existing fire which was you're ready to unfold. So so that's pretty much what got me excited.
1: Best Year Collective is, unfortunately, a slightly rare French success story on online. We always think of online as an American, Anglo-Saxon, or, a, uh, or certainly an Asian thing. Well, what, what, why do you think that is after a year what, to, Why is
0: e-commerce... Well, to, uh, to, to, an to answer the thing, questions,
1: or, why, why, you know, why is it that, and why is why is Vestia, why is it being successful?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at e-commerce, it's really about economies of scale. I mean, it's yeah. it's you know, people always say you know, e-commerce takes a bit of time to become profitable because yeah. to to build the traffic, yeah. to build, you know, the tech wow. behind it just takes time. Um, so but once it has the economies of scale, it's an incredibly profitable business model. And you know, if you think the U.S. and you think of China, you have these two markets. They're one market you can serve with one app or one website. So, by definition, you know, American and Chinese websites will always have a massive advantage because their their home base is such a big customer base. Why do I think Vestiaire is an amazing opportunity? Because you know, I think fashion is France. I mean, and and fashion is Paris. So that DNA. Uh, on which the company has been built, you know, is is still ever-present. Vestiaire is really unique because it has such a big catalogue. We have now, you know, more than 2 million items on the platform. You compare that to farfetch with, I don't know, 300,000. I mean, you can find a lot on the platform. And you really find rare pieces, unique pieces. Fashion lovers have really built the platform, have sold on the platform, are
1: buying on the platform. And that really comes from its Paris, Parisian DNA. It began with the concept of some sophisticated Parisian uh, women realizing they have all the stuff in their wardrobe and mm-hmm. they were just sort of hanging there. So it began from that point of, you know, sophisticated collectors. It's essentially a resale community for quality fashion. Yes. Do you sell any new
0: fashion? Yeah, I think there is there's a part on the platform... Uh, which is new or as good as new still have the label in because I think 40% of, of items women buy, I think they never wear, you know, presents which are the wrong size. Uh, so we do have people selling uh, new, yeah. you know, as new stuff. Do we have brands Brands selling, selling stuff? Not really, that's, that's really not our business. You know, do we have now during COVID some stores which might send off the end of life inventory? Maybe there's some, but it's not something we're actively pursuing because we really believe that our business is, you know, these unique items that you can find nowhere else. Uh, and, and, and and you you think about the, just the sheer volume that is out there. The luxury industry, you know, has somewhere around 300 billion of revenue wow. a year. Now multiply that over, I don't know, 10 years. I mean, the amount of value that is lying in people's
1: closet is, you know, close to a trillion. So we have basically unlimited supply. To the uninitiated, how does it work? What percentage do you charge? How does someone sell through you? Roughly
0: every sale on us has a 20% commission that we take. With that commission, we we cover some of the shipping cost uh, to our authentication hub. The the main model is that you upload what you have in your closet. Uh, You take a picture with your mobile phone. You do a description. We then do a slight curation of the product. We do some check of authentication visually. Uh, and then upload it on the product so we don't let everything onto the platform we want to keep some sort of uh, you know uh, you, you fashion added level it, it, yeah, yeah we added, added it, some too. of it then the product is online and gets bought yeah. and only upon sale does then the seller uh, send it to us we authenticate it we, we check you know if the size is right if it just
1: have you, or have you a we, we, we have a,
0: a, a standard kind of process where we send them the prepaid shipping label and they just need to organize the pickup uh, or they drop it off at one of the uh, you know one of the, the postal uh, post offices or something like that. Um, and then they send it to us, we check it and we send it to the customer. That's the main heart of the business, the C2C business on which the business was built 10 years ago. And that hasn't and, changed, really? Well, no, I, I think one of the things I've introduced uh, just over a year ago now was a service called direct shipping. We've seen that, you know, while our business works extremely well for high basket sizes and that service of authentication that we provide is is, you know, greatly appreciated by many customers... There's also lower price points, let's say 80, 90 euros, a second hand and dress, where that kind of operating model of shipping the item twice is just quite expensive and also not that sustainable. Um, so we've introduced the model called direct shipping, where we give the customers the choice to opt out of authentication, where they then sh- save shipping costs and save authentication costs. And shatter, that's been a huge driver
1: uh, Oh, good. This, but that tends to be with the seller you know already, or can it be? Yes, exactly. So, so I think we what we've also done is we've built a
0: lot of transparency around the sellers. Are they trusted? Are they expert sellers? We, the factor, leave the customer the choice. If they want to have authentication, they can get any item authenticated. We provide that
1: service for them. You charge a slightly higher percentage. Exactly. Uh, what's the difference in the percentage?
0: We don't charge a different percentage to the seller. We don't charge the shipping fee to the buyer. So the okay. buyer can save some money. Okay, okay.
1: How do you maintain that? I mean, how many countries are you are you reaching now? Um you can buy
0: from over seventy countries, and you can sell from close to fifty countries oh, in okay. the world.
1: It's wow, that's quite that's a lot. big, uh, big yeah. global operation. Oh, yeah. How do you maintain the Parisian touch? <laughs> uh, good, good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're
0: looking at me. Um, uh, yeah. I don't think I do. You don't I I don't. I don't think I do that. Um, you know, it's really you know huge credit to to Fanny, um, who, who's the founder and also the president of the group today. You know, she's been in the business since the beginning. She moved to London, I don't know, seven eight years ago. About two years ago, she moved to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So she's really the one spreading that that Parisian DNA in the world and. and you know, keeping definitely me in check on making sure that we keep that DNA uh, intact. But but it's not just, you know, I think we that Parisian part will never go away from us. But we're also very proud of our global community. I mean, it's the fact that, you know, we get incredible pieces of fashion yeah. in Hong Kong and that item gets sold to New York, items being bought in Sydney from Italy. You know, we believe in our global community and, and in some sort of way, you know, you have to look at vestiaires. It's the global digital wardrobe, uh, which is really a representation of, of your wardrobe, my wardrobe, and that wardrobe of anyone in our, you know, in our community, and and we really want to build on that community side, not just from a buying and selling selling perspective, but also educating consumers on the circularity part, on the sustainability part of our business, because fundamentally we are a sustainable business. You know, you know, fashion. So much focus has been on sustainability over the last years. And there's solutions out there, but there's very few solutions out there which are not greenwashing. We're an actually sustainable business in fashion, there are and very really few solutions
1: w- which are not actually r- greenwashing. Really, what they're just, I mean, yeah, yeah. just okay. you know, kind of
0: you put a green sticker on it and, uh, uh, and make it sound like it's sustainable. So, so we're actually extremely passionate, and will get much more vocal on on the fact that consuming second hand, both buying and selling. You know, really makes a difference versus consumer. Do, do you
1: think potentially you are a bit of a threat to the growth of some luxury brands precisely because you're getting...
0: I, you know, I, I really don't think we are. I think we're much more of a threat to fast fashion because if you think about it, what, what are we doing? Uh. Vestiaire defines a value to a second-hand item after six months, 12 months, 10 years. You know, we make... These luxury items, not consumables, but we basically make them assets. So if you know the item you bought for, let's say, a thousand euros, you can resell yeah. it at 500, 600 euros yeah. after one, two, three years, yeah. you own an asset. Your, your approach to paying the high price of a first-hand luxury item yeah. changes. While with fast fashion, you know you pay much less, you also only use it four or five times and you never give it that value so I think what we want to do and, and, and we, we try to educate the market is that we want people to trade up because if they trade up um, they buy stuff that is more uh, long lasting it's, it's amazing craftsmanship and it doesn't lose its value so so I think we just want to enable that market so I think in some sort of way I think it's more a win-win situation yeah.
1: What percentage of uh, the sales do you have returns compared to sales?
0: No no, we, we don't offer returns, but we allow the seller, if it's the buyer, if it's the wrong product or the wrong size, um, to resell the product for free within
1: seven days. Okay. And what percentage does that? Very low. Very low. Like five, five, ten? Below that, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's, that solves a big problem which a lot of uh, internet companies face. Yeah, no. Absolutely. Okay. That's nice in your business model. Do you have any physical boutiques?
0: We had a a partnership with Selfridges, which we launched uh, just over a year ago, uh, which was a a fantastic success. Um, You know, Selfridges is extremely focused on sustainability, we're obviously very passionate and sustainable on that, and I think together we made quite a big statement at the time. It's not our core business, I'm digital at heart, you know, my previous company was an e-commerce company. Now it's an e-commerce company. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not one of those guys who are launching stores left, right, and center. I think it was a good partnership. But it was more from a consumer but education,
1: branding, yeah, thing consumer education perspective. Who are the designers you admire,
0: or who are the designers you wear? I wouldn't say I'm I'm a fashionista. I, I wear a lot of you know nice Italian clothes. You know, whether it's Loro or Brunello, and 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 I keep it quite basic. Yeah. But I've started, I mean, I mean, fact of the matter is I've got hooked on on the platform myself. You know, a Laura Piana jumper or a Brunello jumper cashmere costs you know north of thousand euros now. I mean, that's a lot of money if you think about it. Yeah. Second hand, you can get them on vestiaire for 250, 300. And you can resell it actually. I've just I've actually just last week sold some of the items. Um, that I bought a year ago for the first time at Vestieres, and the second time selling it, I didn't even pay that much of a discount to my first purchase. No, so
1: it was a good investment. Yeah. Investment dressing. Major brands here, not only in Paris, largely in Paris, but, you know, to an extent also in Italy, uh, and LVMH certainly, their brands, and Chanel, and Hermès, I mean, the really big luxury brands. The serious the series guys. Uh, the, you know, they're like the heavyweights, you the know what I mean? The, main, the guys are, pound gorillas. Are, You know what I mean? The guys like, you know, the Rocky Marciano, the Muhammad Ali's of the business. Yeah. They've been very hesitant about online. It's, it's considered part of the consumer journey, but, you know, they don't actually sell that much. You know? Bernard Arnault or Bruno Pavlovsky at, uh, you know, Chanel, the, the, the manager of Chanel. Slightly, they don't really think that, you know, at Chanel or at... Uh, at LVMH that they really want to sell so much and they haven't been convinced. Uh, why do you think that is when you think that's a mistake?
0: I mean, I'm, I, I haven't spoken with either yeah. of the gentlemen that you mentioned about that topic or, or I haven't actually spoken to them at all. So <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking about it is. You know, I guess, you know, it's, it's part of keeping the mystique of the, the brand and, and the exclusive... Experience when you go in one of the stores, and, and maybe they're afraid that they cannot replicate that online, and, and maybe the whole pricing becomes much more, you know, transparent. You know, there's lots of ways to think about it. I, I try not to think too much about it because fundamentally it doesn't really concern me. Yeah. You know, like I said, I'm I'm my supply comes from, you know, millions of closets, you know, in people's homes, and oh. and it's the same product I'm selling. Um, you know, that's the wonderful democratic idea behind the Internet and, and especially behind e-commerce that, that you know, you, you don't need to be an 800-pound gorilla to, gorilla to win. Do I think it's a mistake? You know, I don't think it's a mistake, um, but it opens up opportunities for, for small guys like me to go after the opportunity because in the end, it's not what they want and what I want. It's what the consumer wants, and if you... You know, look at yourself. If you go outside on the road, everyone is looking at their phone. And, and it's I, I don't really like the idea of being online versus offline mm. because no one is ever really offline. Even when the customers in Avenue Montan are in the store, they're online, they're on their phone. They're looking maybe at the Vestiaire app. So, you know, the separation, I think, is an artificial one. The consumers are online. You know, my job is to be where the consumers are and to give them what they want and, and build the best experience around that.
1: Who, who owns Vestiaire
0: Collective? A couple of shareholders, uh, myself included, um, Fanny and Sophie included, so management uh, also, also owns a, a big stake.
1: Uh, if I remember rightly, Condé Nast... Yeah, it's one for, of the shareholders, yeah. Uh, what percentage do they own? I can't disclose that. But, but uh, at one stage, so they put in a significant amount. They, they yeah, work, they, they, they just recently like, reinvested in the company. I mean, something like 10 or 20% was my memory, you know. That order, Yeah, something like that. Uh, do they play a role? It,
0: I mean, Jonathan Newhouse joined the board. Yeah. Uh, Is he still day. a member? He's still on the board. I think he's been, been a fantastic supporter of the business, no. a fantastic supporter of me. I've, I've had, you know, amazing work relationship with him and, and he's a, a great mentor. Is there a big commercial partnership between the two? You know, we've tested things in the past um, here and there, uh, but it's not, I mean, it's mainly a financial investment for them.
1: Yeah. So it's not you don't. There aren't actual actual synergies with their websites or their magazines.
0: And not, again, there, there have been things that, that the two parties have worked in commercially in the past, but nothing currently. Nothing currently.
1: How do you see the uh, pandemic changing? How has it changed, and how do you see it changing? You know, I
0: think I'm I'm not a.
1: You're, you know, I think what I'm idea. saying
0: is not a you know fundamental uh, unique insight. Uh, I mean, but I'm sure you've heard it many other places. Yeah. I think what the pandemic has done is that it's just accelerate the digitization of everything we do dramatically. I mean, my parents didn't know what Zoom was six, seven months ago, and now I have Zoom calls with them. Um, you know, I'm amazed that they can actually log in. Um, you know, I hope they don't listen to this. I think everything we do has just become much more digitized. I mean, the way we pay is is much less cash now. The way we order in the restaurant, you know, everywhere you have the QR codes now, instead of looking at the menus, it's just accelerated the digitization. So what I think, uh, you know, the pandemic has done, and, and I think that is hard to reverse, is just Accelerated the already very big trend towards digitization by, you know, I think at least three, four, five years, uh, which is, you know, clearly, you know, an advantage for a business like ours. Tell me a little
1: bit about you, where you grew up and how you uh,
0: studied and got into what you're doing. Today. Sure, sure. Um, so I grew, grew up in Munich for a long time. Uh, I lived a bit in the U.S. when I was a younger boy. Um, then went. Uh, where did you live there? In New York. Okay. My parents moved there for work, so, uh, okay. so I followed them. What did your father do there? He Back then, he was a consultant. Okay, yeah. in, in New York. In New York. Yeah. And you lived where? In Manhattan? No, wow. outside. Outside. Suburbs. Oh, you were? Long Island? This is Scarsdale.
1: Scarsdale. Scarsdale? Scarsdale, And you yeah. went to school, high school? I went to...
0: No, it was a primary school uh, in White Plains. It okay. was a German school of White Plains. Oh, I
1: didn't know there was such so a thing. Great. And, you, and that's where you you've got your good English. That's where
0: I, yeah, the the first attempts to learn English. <laughs> then I was sent, or I went, I don't know who you ask, uh, up to Scotland to boarding school uh, at the age of 16. Which one? Glen Almond.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah.
0: that was much yeah, we more serious. Ser- <laughs> much more serious, yeah. I went there to visit the school, and it was a Sunday afternoon on that one sunny day they have a year. <laughs> and, the, and the boys were coming out of the, the chapel playing rugby and kilts, and my parents were just... Mesmerized by it, and I was just uh, shaking. My and you were left behind. And here I was, yeah, I was left behind <laughs> in the miserable Scottish weather. Um, and then afterwards, I studied in in London uh, and and started off my career in London uh, for about ten years before moving to Chicago for business school, and then actually spending a bit of time back in Germany before moving to Southeast Asia to found Lazada
1: what would your advice to be to a young guy or girl who wanted to get in pursue a career in fashion or luxury management three three things
0: three things um you know i I really have to admit i'm i'm not an expert on on the luxury industry by any means of imagination i think it's uh you know, I've been here now for 18 months in Paris. It's a peculiar animal, uh, the fashion industry, um, with with incredibly fascinating people. You know, I would very much uh, still think I'm an outsider, uh, so I don't have any inside tips. And um, in, I think, in general, you know, any advice I would give people who want to go into luxury industry or any industry is is you know, you need to do what you like. You know, don't don't do things because they look glamorous or they look fancy. Because in the inside, most jobs are the same. And, and the fundamental thing is that you need to enjoy what you do. I think the second part is, you know, don't run where everyone else is running. You know, ideally run somewhere where the ball might be. Yeah. You know, if you go to, you know, if you're if you yeah. a soccer player and you keep on chasing the ball, you're yeah. probably not a very good soccer player. So you have to go run somewhere where you think the ball is going to be. Yeah, and then yeah. you might score a goal. And the last one is, is, you know, don't be intimidated by the powers to be, you know, I think things change. I mean, even, even uh, in luxury, you know, I'm a believer that, that innovating is a good thing, it's not a bad thing, um, so stick to that.
1: What, I mean, Chair Collective is, is, you know, most people think a, a very good success. What is the turnover of the company?
0: Uh, we don't really disclose that, but, but uh, you huh? know, it's, it's fairly sizable now. Roughly, let's call it 400 million. Oh, well, very good.
1: GMV a year, yeah. and oh, unprofitable. Not quite, not quite. Getting there there slowly. Very good, sir. Um, Maximilian, Max is fine. Very, and a pleasure. Uh, It's pleasure talking to a Bayern Munich fan, especially in the year they won their sixth uh, Champions League. Thank you so much. Uh, I Uh, I cannot, I I cannot take too much credit for (laughs) it. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.